Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, your all things recovery podcast. Recovery Uncovered is produced by MHAB Enterprises, a division of the Northeast Group of Companies located right here in Plattsburgh, New York. I'm your host, Mike Carpenter. Affectionately known as MHAB Mike. And I'm your co-host, Betsy Vicencio. Affectionately known as BV the Normie. We have one goal in these podcasts, and that's not to suck. Thanks for tuning in. And today we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to talk about behind the scenes stuff and how we do this and get a little history on Bryn and a little history on telly and and we're just going to have some fun with this podcast. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, change. And so I've been involved in a number of kind of groups and things talking about different things going on in the world and the level of hate we have and the, you know, anti-Semitic crime and anti-Asian crime and Black Lives Matter and, and everything going on. And, and everybody's trying to come up with these, you know, how do we fix this? How do we resolve this? And, and you know, a, a couple of days ago, I was somewhere talking to some people and it clicked with me that we can't, as a society, resolve the social ills of this country or of the world with people at the top making decisions about what people at the bottom should do. We have to change the world with the people who are feeling less than and who that anger comes from and, and how do we get to those people. And I'll tell you where that comes from. So anybody who knows me knows that I don't have kids. I'm not a huge fan of kids, but I have this pseudo granddaughter, I guess, or I take credit for her named Rain Murnane, who is uh, Bridget, who was a guest here, uh, her daughter. And she's five years old, and so last week I took her out to breakfast. And the cute part of the story is I got the little car seat in the back of the car, and I'm, I don't understand why she can't just sit in the front and put the seatbelt on, but I guess that's not what you're supposed to do. So I'm trying to strap her in the car seat, and I can't make the little buckle fit. And I'm like, what the hell's the matter? Like, it doesn't fit. Betsy, the thing doesn't work. And she looks at me, and she goes, Uncle Mike, you have to put the strap over my shoulder. And I'm like, okay, I've been scolded and corrected by a five-year-old who's telling me how to do it. But the point of that is I'm out to breakfast with this girl, and I saw the innate innocence of a five-year-old child unaffected by the things that have gone on in the world with no real trauma in her life, no, uh, and, and no level of hatred, just this level of love and understanding for people. And I'm like, that's where we as adults need to be. You know, mm -hmm. this, this level of hate and animus and all the stuff that goes on at the adult level in society happens as a result of experience and things that we all learn when we're children it, it, and as we grow up into young adults. And, you know, we have to get to a place where that innocence remains somehow. And I, I don't yeah. know how to do it, but it just it, it it occurred to me that that's what the real issue is you know we're teaching somewhere along the way we're doing something wrong because we're allowing this level of hate to get ingrained in people and and it really is um maddening and and it's fixable but it's only fixable at that level when we get to the people and people feel like they're heard and whether it's a, a black person who struggles with what's gone on in the world and how they've been oppressed or a woman who isn't paid the same amount as a man or, you know, whatever it is. And even if it's the guy who, who believes that he's been oppressed, even if he hasn't, we still have to be willing to listen to that. Because if you don't listen, yep. 
you can't ever have dialogue and, and actually talk about it. And, and, and I think that's the hard part. We're also, we spend all of our time kind of planning what we're going to say rather than listening to what the other person is telling us. Like I'm planning my rebuttal before you're even finished telling me mm -hmm. what you think. And, yeah. and I don't know why that's just clicked with me and I don't know what that has to do with anything other than, you know, I'm, I, I'm not this soft, mushy guy but I am pretty loving and I, I, I can't stand the fact that we have, that we don't like people based on stuff they believe religiously or the color of their skin or their sexual orientation. Like I don't, I'll never understand that. Like people are just people. We're all, you know, and, and at our core, <clears throat> and Bryn, you and I have talked about this before, at our core, we're all way more alike than we are different. Yeah, like we all have insecurities and fears and want to be loved and, and like, but we put on our clothes and we get an education and we have a job and somehow we think that that separates us from everybody else who is born the same exact way. Mm -hmm. Like it, it just, it, so I don't know that I'm ever going to solve it. And I just, and I don't know how much energy I have to put into solving it. Um, and I don't think one person or even one group of people can do it. I think it's collectively as a society, we have to begin to realize that. And it always strikes me that when you watch tragedies happen, tornadoes, natural disasters, mass shootings, call it, you know, whatever you want, in those moments of actual turmoil, when the event is actually going, do you need to get your phone? No. Are sorry. you sure it's not important? It's not. Okay. Sorry. In the, in the, uh, in the, you're worse than Betsy, for God's sake. Well, it's because we have, just to be clear to the audience, I have a camera and I'm watching the monitor on oh, the camera. Oh, okay. and it was That's alerting you that something, it's alerting you that And there's a guy in Montreal trying to get a hold of us right now. <laughs> okay. So, when, so think about these natural disasters. And in the moment that those things happen right afterwards, everybody's scurrying around to help. And when you watch humanity, all of those people who have a jaded view of the world aren't looking at the color of the skin or the sexual orientation of the person they're trying to help because the adrenaline and the inability to think about it allows them just to react. And you're reacting like a human being would react, which is that's another human being who's struggling. And that's the key. Like, how do we get there? How do we mm -hmm. get so that people live in that world where, not that you want to live in, you know, right after a tornado, but we want to live in a world where that's the piece where we're not thinking about it. We're just reacting and realizing that we're all the same. So, you know, if there's anything that I can do in the world, that's the, that's the piece that I would love to see is that we just, you know, diminish the level of hate. So anyway, that's my little speech that has nothing to do with recovery, but has to do with, you know, things that I'd love to see happen in the world. And but you think that hatred is, is taught. Absolutely. Right. It's I, learned in society. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a scientist, I'm yeah. not a doctor, but I firmly believe that kids come out innocent, yeah. they're just innocent. Yeah. And, and I think that, and I don't even think it's necessarily when you use the word taught, I don't think that it's somebody saying, okay, read this book on this and then you'll hate people. I think it's trauma, I think it's lack of opportunity, I think it's broken yeah. families, I think yeah. it's lack of faith, I, th I, I mean, I think you can throw all of those things into it. And they all perpetuate that. But at their core, when people feel like they don't have opportunity to have a life, that's where that stuff starts to come in. And, and for most people, and I, I'll even talk about me, when I, before I got sober, everything that went on in my life was somebody else's fault. 
like somebody did something to me. It was the reason why I wasn't successful was because that person did it or they took my promotion or they did this. I had no ability to look at it and go, oh, oh well, wait, I'm, I'm a contributing factor and probably a big contributing factor right. to that. And I think that happens to people. They, they feel that, so they begin to become jaded. You know, if you think of, of just, you know, the Jewish community and, and just the jokes about the Jewish community and that, those are the wealthy people who hoard all the money. Like, that's the stereotype that goes with it. And, and there's just no truth to that stereotype, but it's the stereotype that goes with it. All black people are drug dealers and criminals. Right. That's just the stereotype that goes with it. There's no truth to it. It's not mm-hmm. based in fact, but that's the stuff that people get and learn. And, and then when they have that, that's where they start becoming that way. It's the, like, yeah. that's how you become jaded. So I, so yes, I absolutely think it's taught and not, not born with it. Yeah. Do you think differently? No, I think I was fortunate. I grew up my, as an army brat, so like I was surrounded by different ethnicities. Yeah. And we were always like the first six years of my life, we were always moving different places. So. It's the greatest thing about growing up in Plattsburgh, New York for me, is the air base was here when I was growing up. Right. And it was the same thing. The diversity at our school was way more than it is today. And so right. I, I just, I grew up around people that were not like me. So I didn't think, I didn't, right. I didn't have that built-in bias. I didn't yeah. grow up in a place that was all predominantly one way. Yeah. You, what do you? Oh, the town I grew up in is like 99.9% white people. Yeah. And um, so yeah, growing up, I, I was pretty closed off. I was in a bubble my whole life. And hmm. yeah, it's not taught, but it's learned. It's learned through the people around you. It's learned through the media. Um, and it takes, it's, it's easy to like continue to be hateful and to perpetuate those stereotypes, but it's hard to try to look at something from somebody else's shoes and be gentle and kind and compassionate. And I think that's, um, so it takes a lot of effort to, you know, like rework your brain in a way where, um, you understand the plight of people that aren't like you. Right. And um, I think that the reason that it's so hard to change the world is because it's easy to be mean and hateful and people don't want to put the effort in to um, care about people, be compassionate. That's so, <laughs> uh, you know, when you think about that statement, that's so, like, I, I get it. You're 100% right. I think it, it's easy. And I, I think all of that comes to that whole ability of self-account, it, it's the self-accountability. It's really hard to be able to look at my life and go, the person I am is because of the things that I did and the choices that I made. Now, if you're an abused child or you have a traumatic childhood, you have some rationale for why you're there. But when you become an adult, you can no longer hide behind the fact that, well, this happened to me as, a, as when I was five, and that's the reason that I'm this way. It's like, well, there are ways that you can go and learn to deal with that, and it now becomes your responsibility. And I think we become mm-hmm. a society that's way, we, we just don't want to teach people how to be self-accountable. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and, and I, that was probably, of all the things, one of the greatest gifts I have is that I'm accountable for my level of hate or my level of love or what I do. Like, I'm, it's not somebody else's responsibility. It's mine yeah, to yeah. be that taking, person. Taking the blame, it, it's kind of empowering in a way that you know. Yeah. Um, and even if you're not blaming it on another person, it's blaming it on the world. Right. You know, like, 
um, oh, I couldn't do this, or I didn't have this opportunity because the world is against me. It's like, in many ways, that's true. There's systemic oppression that goes on at all different yep. levels, but at some point, you have the agency to, you know, change your life and, and make good decisions and make right decisions. And, and then the key is, once you've done that, you have the ability to help other people affect change. Mm -hmm. And I think where the disconnect is, this is my own personal belief, disconnect is that we wait for people who are in decision-making positions and positions of power to be the people who make change. And the truth is, they're not. Mm -hmm. they, it, it is us at our core level who are the people who make change. And somewhere along the way, we have to begin to teach that. We have to begin to teach that if you don't feel empowered, it doesn't mean you're not empowered. It, it, it means you don't feel empowered. And so let's figure out how to get it to the place where you feel empowered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in the rooms of recovery, we see it all the time. People come in and that's how they feel. The system shit on me, my father didn't love me, the, all of these things that went on. And then they start working at getting better and sometimes quickly, but usually it's a few years. You know, a few years into it, they start to recognize that, you know what? Yeah, the system wasn't great to me, but it wasn't the reason right. that, I, that this happened to me. It was a contributing factor and that that self-account, they're becoming self-aware and right. self-accountable for what went on. And then it's almost funny. I, I always think of why recovery works so well is that somebody once said, well, why don't you take like the 12 steps and, and incorporate them in everybody's life? And, and that sounds like a wonderful idea because I think they're great things that work. The reason that they don't necessarily work is that what we have, what people like you and I have, is we have that common bond of being realistically at death's door. We have that moment of desperation. So we're not doing this because it makes us feel better or because we're doing this because we know if we don't, we're going to die. Mm -hmm. Now you get all these other benefits from it, but at our core, we have that, that, that peace that bonds us together. And that's the problem with changing the world is if you don't have something that bonds them together, they're like, well, why should I do that? You know, why, why should I bother with it? I don't care. I'm living my life just doing what I want to do. So that, that's kind of what I think about that stuff. Mm -hmm. All right, Brittany Judkins, let's hear a little bit about you. Okay. Um, where do I start? <laughs> so first off, I think you're one of the smartest young people I've ever met in my life. Thank you. I think that you're engaging and smart and articulate and funny, and mm -hmm. uh, I think all of those things are truthful. I know you don't always feel that way because I know you a little bit, and I think that sometimes you struggle a little bit with that when somebody says, so tell me how you, how you got here. How'd you wind up here? Let's start with that. Okay. I went to school, and I studied marketing, and then I went to school for another year, and I studied marketing a little bit more. And uh, doing freelance projects and some stuff on the side and, and whatever, I got into doing graphic design and web design. And somebody that I knew called me up and, and said, um, I need a web designer for a project. So I was living in Troy, New York at the time. I was just about finishing my graduate program to get my MBA. And I sat at my dining room table on a Zoom call with um, four or five different people and this guy shows up and he's got like a baseball cap on and a hoodie and they're like oh yeah he's the president of the company and I was like what are you talking about this guy so he shows up to the thing 10 minutes late and they're like interviewing me and um, 
I remember that day, and I remember <laughs> that's that That's awesome interview. that you I remember, remember that. Had, of course I do. <laughs> and we had, like, this really good talk, and I think at that moment I knew that, you know, these were people I wanted to come work for because during that uh, interview right then, we kind of had a discussion about what MHAB was and, and what we did and, and how there's this community-based mission to, you know, improve the lives of people that are struggling and all that. And um, I talked to you and I was like, yeah, you know, like I want to be able to do something good because I don't want to, I'm, you know, I'm 23 years old, but I'm a little bit jaded already. <laughs> yeah. Mike and I share a lot of the same opinions yes, about do. people in power and things <laughs> like that. So I was like, you know, I want to, I don't want to shill myself for some <laughs> giant mega corporation. I want to be able to do something good for a change. So um, <laughs> signed on to be a web designer and I ended up um, taking out a lot of responsibilities that I didn't know that I would because there wasn't really a blueprint for what this position did. So I've um, been able to do a lot of, have a lot of growth for my, my own professional development, but also like, um, my emotional development there's been a lot of growth there too because although mike says that i'm a normal person <laughs> and I'm well adjusted and i don't have any problems um i've you know i've been a affected uh, in a pretty great way by addiction and alcoholism it's like the one person that i love the most in this world is you know i've lived with them my whole life and they've been an alcoholic my whole life and for a long long time i thought well, that's just how it is, you know? It's just how they are. Right. There's nothing I can, you know, it's just what I'm going to live right. with my whole life. But I came here and I met all these wonderful people that I've really formed deep connections with and people that have been able to um, take that accountability for themselves and, and change the way that they behave, like, act and behave and beat those addictions and, and contribute, you know, to the community. And um, so I've started doing a lot of the work myself and seeing um, I guess addiction in, in a different way than I ever did before and I think it's helped my family a lot too what I've learned here you know for somebody who doesn't like to talk and doesn't <laughs> want to sit in front of a camera well, that was pretty going. that was a, you were pretty good I'm start sweating well you know it's funny when you come <laughs> when you come to the IT wig and we sit over there and we have conversations Pete and I and John and, mm -hmm. and you and and, you know, we all thought, oh, she's a 23-year-old girl, just got out of college. She's going to be one of those, you know, ultra-liberal people who's, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the label we put on you. Mm -hmm. And then as we've gotten to know you, I'm like, I walk out of there going, wow, she's a lot more like me than I think. And, and I'm not sure that that's good. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how great that is. But, and I love that story that you said. You know what? I am a lot of things but I'm, I'm certainly authentic. And what you're going to see from me is what you get. Like mm -hmm. what you see on the interview day is the same guy that I am <laughs> the day you come to work here or 10 days totally later true. or yeah. whatever. Uh -huh. and, uh, and that's cool that you remember that. Now, I'm going to out you and tell you that I also know that this was a... We forget sometimes that you're 23 years old and because we think you're just going to do amazing things with your life and go and be something great. That's what we all believe, and we believed it since the day we met you. And I know that this job, particularly in this company, has been tough because your first job out of college, and we are not your traditional company. It's not like, <laughs> come in, do this, we'll help you with it. We're just like, here, Brent, make a website and make it work. Like this, go. Like, and you're like, well, I don't know how. And we're like, well, neither do we, so figure it out. And, and you've done an incredibly amazing job, but I know you're looking for a little bit more structure. So you are probably going to 
let me phrase this the properly. You are going to probably leave us as a full-time employee, but you are gonna stay on and do a whole bunch of stuff for us, whatever we could get out of you where you live in a different part of the country. Is that is that a fair assessment? That's Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we are gonna watch you from afar and know that someday when Bryn Judkins' name and lights or something good is happening, we're gonna go, we knew her when. Like, we knew her when she was, this little kid You'll still know me. We'll still try to. Mm-hmm. Then that would that would that would be too. great. Mr. Schwartz, your story is a little different. You're more of a screw up like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've worked for like a thousand different. I've worked for so many companies and been fired from so many companies that people don't actually believe it. Like they're like you. Were, oh, you worked in that industry also. Oh, you worked in that. Did you own a pizza shop or a couple I pizza owned a shops? Pizza shop. I've I've done everything in my life. I've lived from here. To Alaska, um, waited <laughs> tables all over the country, and um, my cool. addiction followed me everywhere. But um, yeah, when I when I ended up at the Northeast Group, I didn't, um, I had no idea that there were people in recovery when I applied for the position. And when we sat and did our interview, I go, man, I know this guy from somewhere. I just can't figure out where. But I had done research on the company and like looked at your picture on your website. Didn't you have a suit and a tie on when you I came did. in too, I did. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was a little overdressed yeah. for the organization. I was like, I was like right. really? Dude? Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, and then we were walking up the um, the we were walking up um, into the warehouse on my first day, and I was drinking energy drink, and you said something like, "Those are bad for you," and I was, I said. Um, well, yeah, in the hierarchy of addiction, this isn't that bad for me. Like, I'm okay with this. And it clicked in your head that I was, you know, um, part of the club. And (laughs) you said, you know, if you say things like that, people are going to think that you got hired here because of that. And I just want to make you aware of it. It's fine. I just want to make you aware of it. And that's not the reason we hired you. And then right then and there, I realized, oh, I know this guy from the fellowship. That's where I've seen him before and I've heard him talk before. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a crazy ride within the organization, but I, I absolutely love this company. And I think that some of the core values in the fellowship come through because there's so many people in the company, in the fellowship, that they just come through like that ownership we were talking about before. Um, <laughs> it's even at a higher level. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. So as a manager, I made a mistake that cost you twenty thousand dollars i think it was and um, it was 22 and okay but who's counting you are (laughs) and you should be so and and i didn't make the mistake but i knew enough to i i wasn't the person that actually did it but it was on my watch so it was my responsibility and and i and i threw myself in the sword and i admitted it and then i watched the person above me trevor own the mistake he owned the mistake as if it was his mistake and then i watched you and betsy own the mistake as if it was your mistake and no one ever said it was telly's fault do you know what i mean i mean but client i mean everyone knew it was my fault but i just i i love that and um yeah you tell that story a lot yeah because it's such it was such it was such a cool moment um you know i've worked for a lot of different companies and big corporations too and they don't they don't they don't treat people that way that's just not how it works you know what i mean uh, most companies should be fired for that and um, within your organization it's like okay well it's a, it's a, you know you you learn what not to do now and we'll make sure right. it doesn't happen again because every we all make mistakes yeah. i've made them i've cost this company tons of money over the years and i think i've made it more than i've cost it but yeah. you know that's the nature of doing this you know one of the things i learned and i don't remember where it was it might have been a john wooden thing or somebody 
you know, being a good leader, a good boss, is taking none of the credit and all of the blame. If you think about it just in terms of those simple things, when our company performs well, I take none of the credit. I give all the credit to the people who work yeah. here. And when our company performs poorly, I take all of the blame for that and don't, it, it, not that I don't hold the people accountable for the yeah. mistakes that they make, but at the public level or the persona or whatever, the leadership part is to be the guy that, this, yes, Telly made a mistake, but it's, I'm the president. I'm the guy yeah. that's responsible for it. And I think when I do those things, a couple things happen. One, I empower the people below me to feel like they're part of, like they are, like they're getting credit when things are going well. And when the blame goes on and you step up to the plate and go, I'm accountable for this. It's my company. We did this. And I've been in a lot of meetings and heard bosses of companies throw their employees under the bus to customers. And I'm just like, why would you, right. why on any level would you do that? Right. It doesn't, it makes no sense to me. Like you're almost, it's almost so short-sighted you're, you know, you're cutting it, it doesn't make sense. It's right. like, like kind of pointless. So, you know, we're, it's funny because you're MBA educated, right? You have a, do you, what's your level of education? Associate. Associate's degree. Yeah. But by the way, I now have an associate's degree. You do? Even though it was honorary. You do. It was, you do. Uh, I, do, I, got, I got the little AAS I by the. By I would the rather degree. have an honorary degree because that means you actually did something good, <laughs> good in society. I, I just I, I, I got yeah, a bunch of debt, is all like, I did. Yes. Right, that's all I did. Tens of thousands of like, dollars. Your education is way more richer. Like you had a I, lot of experience involved I, to get that. I don't know about all that. But so you have an MBA. It's funny because I think that that. That is fabulous, and I'm, and I'm almost happy that I don't have that because I think that it took me a lot longer to be in this position than it will probably take you to be in this position, but I think I learned so much along the way. You know, when I think of you, yeah. I think, like, don't ever, don't ever get, and I, I shouldn't counsel you, I'm not your father, but don't ever get to a place that you stop learning and you stop, mm -hmm. you know, thinking that, well, I've achieved it. You know, I've, I've gotten here, so I have the answers now. And a, and a lot of people get there, and I try really, really hard to not be that. You know, like, how can I be, there must be a way that I can be better. There must be something I can do to be better at what I do. I must not be doing great at it. And both Betsy and I kind of embrace that philosophy, you know, mm -hmm. that, that empowerment philosophy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, knowledge is power. And mm -hmm. I think... When I was a teenager, I was a little bit of a know-it-all, and I thought that I knew everything, and it took me a while to realize that there is a world of knowledge out there for me uh, to find, and um, <laughs> so I keep that in mind a lot, that I always want to keep learning, and that everybody that you meet, you can learn something from. 100%. You know, it's like you can't, you don't look down on people because they do something differently than you, right. or because they're in a different position than you, you can learn something from everybody. It's so funny, when I got my award at Clinton, I, I told the story that I, that I just love because we put an awful lot of value in, in doctors and lawyers and politicians and people that have high levels of education. And, and not that we shouldn't. They provide incredibly value. Doctors save lives. Lawyers resolve issues. Like, there's, they're important. They're parts of society. But in that snowstorm when I'm driving to see your family through the middle of the Adirondacks late at night and my car breaks down and the three people I have with me are a lawyer, a doctor, and an auto mechanic, 
all of a sudden the auto mechanic becomes the most important and smartest person in the car. And I think when we get there and we recognize that our society works because we have everybody, you know, we need hot dog vendors at the baseball game. We need people that are willing to go pick up trash at the, like those people have honor and value in what they do. And we should never think that on some reason they're less than, you know, I think about the people we have. Our day businesses, a lot of people are out there putting, you know, nuts in boxes all day, standing mm -hmm. at a, standing at a table, putting a, and no, you don't have to be Harvard educated to be able to do that. But I know a lot of really smart people who couldn't stand there for eight hours and do that. Like, so it, yep. and it's important because mm -hmm. that's a service yep. that needs to be provided. And I think when we're at that place, we do so much better. And you, you already have that under, my God, when I was your age, I didn't have any of that understanding. And you already have that, which puts you light years ahead of Telly and I. Yep. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, this. This is it. This is you, you've reached the you've reached the I'm, pinnacle. I, I'm a. I mean, I've. <laughs> How had, old are you, by the way? I'm 45. Okay, I'm 46. I'm 46. <laughs> 46. I'm 46. So and you have what? 19 kids. Yep. 19 something kids. Like, something like that. Yep. Right? <laughs> I got enough kids to start a baseball. No, I've got I've got four kids. So, um, yeah, I um, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm happy here for right now, but um, I've been sober for nine years august august 28th will be nine years and i'm still scared to go back out and try to run my own business because of what i did and i did it it was more than just one business um you know i did the chip distribution i was making great money of that robbed it all with my addiction you know we get i get successful in life and then become self-destructive and destroy it all so i'm i'm content here for right now but at some point you know i'll do something something on my own. You are a pretty driven guy. You yeah. do have, yeah, you're, uh, and anything that people ask you to do, you can, you, you do. You, yeah. you, figure. you know, it's so funny because I think you're both perfect fits for our company for different reasons. Yeah. And in your case, and it's funny because you've not necessarily battled addiction like we have. I, I think our business is built for crackheads, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I think it, it's built for the, it's built for the people that embrace chaos yeah. it doesn't bother them they don't necessarily need order they don't we thrive in right. that arena and for people that are more normal like you that's like ah how do you live like this like i can't you're like my wife like lizzie's just like i can't, how do you do that like i can't i can't do it um it is though. You see, the people who thrive in this are those people who are like oh yeah i love the love the chaos if you ask betsy she's not here but i'm at my best when it feels like the shit's yep. falling down yep. around me. Like that's yep. when I'm at when I, when I'm not, and I got to find yep. stuff to do. I'm like, ah, this is off. When I, when I, when it, the world is collapsing and everybody's yep. like, we can't do this. I'm like, ah, yep. we got this. When it's the simple. pandemic broke and and um, you know, all the businesses were being um, ordered to close. You and Betsy were in your element. You guys were completely calm, yeah. and you're like, this is what we're gonna do, and we're we're gonna be around. You know, we're, I think we're, this, we're not going anywhere. We're going to figure it out, and we'll we'll stand. Tall. I think the statement I made is I said, I said, this pandemic may ruin the world. It may destroy everybody, but we will be the last one standing. We yep. won't be the first one to yep. go. We will. We'll, you know, I can't say that we'll survive because right. maybe nobody will, but we'll be one of the last ones to go. And and you know what? I think that I'm incredibly lucky to have this great team of people that work around me who embrace, you know, what I say. Um, 
which is hard to believe that people follow or listen to me, but they actually Why? do that they, you know, they, they like, well, he said it, so we're going we're gonna to try it. Yeah. So what do you want to be when you grow up? And for you, it's legit when you grow up, like oh, still, you know. Right. I know there's so many years ahead of me. Yeah, <laughs> you do. It gets, I get a little nervous just thinking about it. <laughs> Don't dread it yet. It's, I know. You know. Uh, the existential dread is, I think it's always going to be there. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think I want to feel fulfilled is probably the, the best way I can put it. I want to have a family. Um, I want to, eventually, I think, if we're talking professionally or career-wise, um, I want to be able to work for myself one day and yeah. do that and not have to worry about um, the pressures on me and that's it, you know, kind of thing. You know that right now in your life, you just about have that. <laughs> Even though you don't get the final say, you, know? you just about have that right now. Uh-huh. I mean, you you work from home. Nobody. There are days when I we don't even know what Brent's doing. Mm-hmm. Like you could be out climbing a mountain, and we wouldn't know. Or like I don't know. She's. I hope hope she's doing something, but yeah, we don't. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. It's pretty close. You're actually you're actually pretty close to your mm-hmm. your goal. You know, it's funny. I I don't know that I was entrepreneurial when I was your age, or you know, like you. I never really did that. Now, after coming to work with my father, and, and you know, I'm fortunate, and I say this regularly, and you, I don't even know if I've shared this with you before, but the, the reason that this business worked for me and my father and Mary, I believe, is because I didn't come in just as the kid and take over the printing company. It wasn't like, okay, when we decide to retire, we're going to give you the printing company. I had an idea. I had some contacts, and, and my father had money, resource, and buildings. Mm -hmm. And so it was a perfect fit. He took all of the financial risk that allowed me to effectively start a new business without any real risk to me. And now over the years, obviously, I've made us a fair amount of money and the family's done well. So it's worked out well for both of us. But it was very synergistic. You know, I, I don't know if I have the stones. Maybe today I do, but I don't know if back then I would have the stones to go out and start my own where I took all the financial risk. It was, right. you know, the infrastructure was already here. I just had to bring the stuff that I knew. And, you know, then when we started MHAB, you know, I remember a lot of people don't even know this story, but in the beginning, Betsy was not going to do MHAB with me. There was, a, there was some stuff and it, she was like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm just going to stay doing the job that I have over here. And, I remember talking to all the parties that be and saying, I'm not doing this if she's not in it with me. She's like my partner right. in crime. We do everything together. I can't imagine she has to be being successful in it with without me. her. And it's so funny because that's, I think when you surround yourself with people that are good, honest, decent people who have the same goals, you have the ability to just do great stuff in the world. Like it really is, you know, kind of cool. And, and I think the long part of that story is I couldn't imagine working for somebody else now. Like the, and it, and it really isn't, like I probably would make a hell of a lot more money if I worked for a big transportation company and I Absolutely. had opportunities to do yep. that. It's not the money. It is the freedom. The freedom and the ability to be the guy who drives what it is that you're doing mm-hmm. that right. makes being in, being like in business for yourself so cool. Like you get to decide, but nobody gets to tell me how to do yep. MHAB. Like I, you know, and I got a lot of input, but I got to decide how to do that. And that's just so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to take on some financial risk and do something like that, but I'm 
I'm in the hole pretty far right now. So I'm going to find a rich husband. First. Student debt. No, <laughs> please don't. You're going to dispirit me if you, if you do that. You're, when you ask me what, what I want to be, I want to be a housewife with a rich husband. Do you really? Is that really? Is that, that is so far from who I was like, come on, that's no. just crazy. No. You strike me as, as fiercely <laughs> independent, but yeah. not, not radical in your views. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You're, but you're fiercely independent. You're not looking for somebody to take care of you or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, which, and I've told you this a lot of times, you, you remind me very much of my wife. My wife is exactly the same way. She is like just fiercely independent but not radical about her. And just, she's like, I'll never be in a position where if this marriage doesn't work, where I can't walk away and be okay on my own. Like I'll never put myself in that yeah, exactly. position. And that's exactly what she's done. She's, you know, not that I, I don't think we're ever going to get divorced and certainly not anytime soon, but she, and I, and I'm proud of her for that. I look at her and go, that is awesome. Like that is so great that that's how, you know, we need more people like that, mm -hmm. more of the world like that. Not that there's any, listen, I don't know what being a housewife is or a mother raising three kids, but I can imagine there's probably not a whole lot of tougher shit to do. I took this little kid to breakfast for an hour and it was like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So I don't know how people do it with two or three kids. Oh yeah, that's um, a serious full-time job. Oh, a lot of overtime. Too. Oh my God. Yeah. I, yeah, I, you know, it's funny that, cause I, I, I used to speak at the schools, so I used to go into the schools and speak. And I always had this, and this goes back to kind of what we were talking about in the beginning, I always had this jaded view of teachers. Eh, they only work 180 days a year, they only work six hours a day, they got every weekend and holiday off, they got it made, like they got a good cushy job. And coincidentally, I think they do okay, like I think that, the, you know, they, they do. But, so I went and spoke at the school and I used to speak at every class, so I'd speak at like six classes a day, one right after another. And you don't realize how trying to say the same story with the same level of inspiration and, and that six times a day, it's difficult. It's really, really hard. And that's what they're doing. You know, they're teaching a class and then class leaves and new class comes in. They're teaching the class. It's not always the same, but it's relative. Like, that's, it's hard mm -hmm. to right. do that and to be engaged and inspired all day. I was exhausted. At right. the end. I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I could do this five days a week. Yeah, that's like the most honorable profession I think there is, is being a teacher. Yeah. Mm. God bless my mother, who is a teaching assistant, and she has half the pay and half yep. the... Um, but still has all the headaches. The gratitude, but yeah, she works with special needs children. Mm. She has to, you know, do a lot more of the dirty work than the teachers have to do. Not, yep. to, not, like, not that you're doubt, not that you're shitting on the teachers. Absolutely but, not. Yeah. No, I think they're amazing. I mean, it's like, that's... The youth is the future, and right. you, like you have to educate the youth, and you have to motivate them, and encourage them to want to learn and want to do good, and, and that kind of stuff. And um, it's hard when you're talking to eleven-year-olds who just want to go on YouTube all day. Right. Like, yeah. Um, very difficult. So same thing as being a parent. You grew up, so you grew up a little more in the electronic age than we did. Mm -hmm. you know, when I was totally. a kid, so there were no cell phones and everything. How did that affect you? What did that, I mean? My brain is like a pile of mush. Because so much information comes in, is that, is that the reason why? Uh, yeah, it's, I have so much envy of people that grew up without a cell phone in their hand and without the internet, but um, I don't, you know, I can't compare it directly because I didn't, you know, grow up without it. But right. I assume that probably, um, 
we just expect things differently or we have different expectations mm. of like um, the way people communicate with us or um, do, does that make sense? Yes, yes. it does. Like, the, the world when we grew up, and I'm, pr I'm the oldest guy, you're a bit younger than me, but when I grew up, the world was much smaller uh -huh. as a child. The world was my school and my immediate friends because even on TV, you didn't have you know 24-hour news channels mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. you didn't even have all these entertainment channels. You had, like, it was, it, it, it was much less. And so, you know, a typical day for somebody when I was growing up was we'd go to school we get out of school, we'd come home, whatever season it was, you'd go out and get the sports equipment, you'd find seven or eight kids on the street, and yeah. you'd go to the field and play ball until you went home and ate and then did your homework. Like, that, mm -hmm. was, that was what the typical day was. And I don't see that as being the typical day. Yeah, no. Well, you know, it, it wasn't so bad because growing up, it wasn't until, I mean, I think what really changed it was social media. Yeah. You know, what yep. really um, made things blow up. But I was lucky enough that, you know, being a, a toddler and a, and a kid and up until you know middle school um it i mean we had the internet but you know i didn't have facebook until i was like in junior high school or things like that so we had um aol like instant messenger yeah. and, mm -hmm. but you'd, you know you'd still have to wait until the school day was over to go home and i am somebody or something like that or you know somebody told you to look up a video so you'd write it down and you had to wait till you got home to right. mm -hmm. so but that was the longest I ever had to wait to do now something. Now you just open and up your phone just, and just... Yeah, it's immediate. So... Yeah. And everything's going to get faster. Mm -hmm. So think about the next generation. Mm -hmm. Well, you almost wonder, you start to think about it and go, where, where does it stop? Where, 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 do, where do you cross the line where it, it began or begins being detrimental to right. people to have this much right. ability in the palm of your hand? and. Yeah. and as is always the case, you know, technology is good right up until it starts getting used for, you know, adverse reasons. Just think about what we talk about, you know, addiction. The dark web allows you to buy just about any drug you want if you're willing to go on there and have it shipped to your house. Like, it, yeah. it, I mean, you can steal your dad's credit card and be a kid and do it. Like, it really, and as always the case, we get, and the internet has done tremendous things. Like, I'm not a huge social media person, but I think about when Lizzie's mom lived in Iowa and the fact that they were both on Facebook. So you could do, yep. like, literally interact with somebody in real yep. time that's a thousand miles away from you. And, and for families that are split, that is great. Like, well, how cool is that, that you can do that? But then there's always the dark side to it that comes after. Yeah, like the bullying able, and the... Yeah. Well, we don't seem to be able to mitigate that. There right. always is this dark side that yeah. we're never prepped for. We don't know how to deal with it. And that's the piece that I always, that I worry about winds up happening with this stuff mm -hmm. yeah it's it's up to the in individual to choose how they want to use the internet um, but the same way that it's easy to perpetuate stereotypes and be hateful and it's hard to you know be compassionate and open your mind um, it's easy to enter the cesspool of social media and Facebook and Twitter yeah. I and think I and it's hard to go on and find resources to educate yourself, make yourself better, and, do, and, and things like that. What do you think the worst one is? The worst social media platform? Um, they're all, they're... they're Maybe you better not say that, ways. because you're only 23, and you might need these guys down the road. <laughs> so Telly and I don't give a shit anymore. What do you think the worst one is? I, well, after our former president, I'd say Twitter. Twitter, I think so, too. I think Twitter is... Not necessarily because of what he was saying or anything, but it just... 
it, I think it changed Twitter, the world Twitter's the way he handled it. Yeah. I think Twitter is the cesspool, though. There's not, at least on Facebook, there's good the, stuff. There's Well, I think, I think the, when people say which one's bad, a lot of the times when they're talking about bad, which is horrible for me to talk about having a career in digital marketing, but is <laughs> like targeted advertising. So mm-hmm. on Facebook, targeted advertising is way different than it is on Twitter. And Facebook and Instagram are the same, you know. Right. And what we've seen happen with Facebook and Instagram, which were originally intended to be platforms where you could connect with people that you know and discover images and, and things that you, you know, think are interesting, um, are essentially just, uh, it's like you're walking through Times Square and there's just billboards everywhere and you're right. just like getting inundated with advertisements right. and they're very specific to your interests right. and I mean you saw that we did yeah. a paid ad for MHAB Marketplace right. and I said well we can go on here and we can target people that yeah. are part of uh, fellowship groups right. and interested in recovery. It is amazing how much information they gather mm-hmm. and how much that targeted advertising. It's mm-hmm. uncanny. I pull up even just open up Google and you get those ads and I'm like oh how do they know I like that, like how, you know, where did they get that from? Because there's so much merging this yeah, information. Yeah, so it's Facebook very and Instagram crazy. effectively have just become like a mall, a digital mall. And right. I think Twitter still has a little bit of, as much as Didn't I don't want to use the word integrity to talk about social media. Platforms. Wow, Twitter and integrity, not a word you would hear. Off. Aren't they up to, aren't you 280 characters now? Yes. Used to be 140, yeah, it's 280 now. You can run your now, mouth right? for 280 characters now. Yeah, I don't think Twitter, the company's bad. I think the, it allows a lot of um, well, negative have, interactions. Right, they don't have the, a lot right. of the same restrictions and censorships. Right. That In the old days of drinking, when I was drinking, there used to be a phrase called beer muscles. And so it would be like a guy like me would go into a bar and there's a big guy over there and I'm not going to go pick a fight with that guy or have a problem with him. But I get a six-pack, eight beers in me, and I'm willing to go over there, so I have beer muscles. Right. Like I think courage. in today's day and age, it's they're like keyboard muscles. I think when people are sitting yeah. behind a yeah. keyboard, they're much more willing to be confrontational and fight than they are when you sit them down like this and mm-hmm. say, okay, I saw what you wrote, so t- let's have it out mm-hmm. here. You know, well, people, yeah. is that truthful, you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely truthful. And you and I both watched that documentary about QAnon on HBO where um, they go they dive really deep into the history of message boards and image boards which have you know traditionally been anonymous which you know that's even more power right to have those muscles very scary to be able to anonymously say whatever kind of stuff it is you want and you know there's if you think about if you go back and think about the David Koresh's of the world and the people, mm. you know, Jim Jones and the people who've gotten cult followings with people that do it. What they typically are is very articulate, very slick, very smart people who have a very jaded view of the world. And I think social media and the internet has exploded that because it's much easier to write it and, and come across that way. So you get a lot of people who follow these things. You know, when I watched that QAnon thing, I was just like, it, it was, I was so floored by how how much is out there that I'm unaware of, like how much stuff has gone on behind the scenes and, and that kind of stuff to get people to buy into this. And, mm-hmm. and it really is, you know, frightening. It's like I'm, you know, one of the things Lizzie and I talk about regularly is I try to research information from multiple sources with multiple points of view. 
And then what typically happens is I can pull the information out and they've given you 100 bits of information and they've given you 100 bits of information and 20 from here and 20 from here are the same. Those are the 20 you can buy in as fact. The other 80 are the 80 that you throw out from each side because they're trying to make a point. But most people don't take that. They find the places that they're comfortable like QAnon and they go on there and believe everything that QAnon says and don't even think about there can be another way and it, and it happens on the other side. You know, it ha like mm -hmm. people, right. and it's like, boy, spend, and it goes back to almost what we were talking about. Spend some time being accountable for yourself. <clears throat> excuse me, like spend some time looking at it going, well, let me make sure that the information I'm talking about is actually factual information as opposed to just some crazy guy mm -hmm. that you don't even know. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. I don't even think in that show they actually kind of proved who QAnon really was. I mean, I mm -hmm. think they left it at, you know, mm -hmm. with some pretty good thought, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, and even if you're going through, and, and that's like pretty noble of you to, to go through and try to, you know, find different sources and fact check and do things like that because I think the majority of people, including myself, normally don't do that. And still, you have to be wary. Yeah, like people of course. are, you know, published researchers that, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a crazy person right now, but, you know, people make up their sources, people cite things, yeah. people cite yeah. tweets, people do yeah. things like yeah. that. And, you know, our uh, mainstream media organizations yeah. have extreme bias, so it's it's really difficult. To find we live in the soundbite world now, where everything oh, people crazy. hear a soundbite or they read a Twitter or whatever it is, right. and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like I read this from, you know, somebody reads a tweet from Bryn Judkins and goes, I read this from Bryn Judkins. She said this, so it must be true. And it's like, well, who the hell is Bryn Judkins? She's some crazy girl that works for that guy Carpenter. And he's crazy <laughs> too, so we should not listen to that. Um, so, see, this wasn't bad, right? No. Right. Bad being in front of the camera. You guys did okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't realize the lighting was so disruptive. Like, I'm sorry, we've I been know, doing I this to you for so long. Like I know. Oh, like, I, I see here. I don't and know. I'm always like, we need more lights. I feel bad. We have so many lights now. One of the good reasons why we put you on this side of the, on right. this side of the camera, because I think it's important. Yeah. So, let me ask you as we wrap up here. What's your favorite part about what you do for us? Do you have a favorite part? The people. Really? Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah. You? I mean, I got to say the people now. No, I'm <laughs> no, I mean, my favorite thing that I do is this, the podcast and the video work. And you all do that love stuff. this stuff. I do. I, I love it. I think that, um, like, you have a, a, a great way of communicating um, the message to people, and I think that it's a real powerful thing it'll take time but i think it's a real powerful thing so i do enjoy that you know it's it's funny the uh what we do here you know the the work that you do with this stuff with cooking without wine the work that you do on the website and the designs and the blogs and all this stuff you know it's it's probably never going to be looked upon as world changer or any of that stuff but i can assure you from personal experience that we're helping individuals, and that's probably way more profound than right. a lot of the great accolades that right. people get for all the things that people think that they do. And right. and you know that warms my heart. Like it yeah. just, I, I get so inspired when I when I see people. I mean, you I, you know, I watched you, and I, I probably shouldn't out you, but I you know I watched you struggle with tax problems and, yeah. and take care yeah. of that. And now you, my and your life's wife transformed. You do it with now, in the company, does a, it with everybody, like. 
even even as a, a well put together person like Bryn, like you've gotten something out of coming in this organization that maybe it's you know the work you've done with your mom and the re- oh how you've God, improved yeah. that relationship that you probably wouldn't have that probably wouldn't have happened for a little bit longer in your life or yeah. it may not happen who knows do you know what I mean and I watch it and like that's the thing I've learned from Mike and Betsy is is that now I can pass it on to the Justins of the world and I just was recently a podcast guest. Uh, we can we can cool. all we can all pass it on to the next people and and you know um, the other day real quick I'll just say this the other day I was we were Mike started this thing called the COVID mile and where we'd get out of the office and we'd go to walk for a mile and the other day we were walking and I was walking with a, a young man that's you know he's he's having some trouble he's had a lot of trouble in his life and he's he's in the thick of it right now and um, he's struggling in life he's struggling in many ways. And he said, he pointed to the back of Mike, he said, is he a millionaire? And I was like, um, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I said, I said, he did, they don't live like that, man. I said, they're not, they're not, they would rather give it to you, to someone else than to take it themselves. I said, they don't live lavish lives. I said, that that's not who they are. And he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, like they're about helping people. They're not, a, they're not here for the money, man. They're not. Yeah. We like. And people don't believe that, but it's really the truth. And, and you guys instill in everything you do in the organization. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like help others. We'll help you, and now you can help someone else. It's a, it's a yeah. fellowship. I mean, yeah. it's, it's all those principles that, you know, it mirrors it. You know, it's funny. I guess I would consider myself a thousandaire. You know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> far from, far from right. a millionaire. I'm a thousandaire. Right. You know what? We built a nice company. My family has a, a yeah. life beyond, I think, what we all thought we were ever going to have. And certainly, you know, that's why you go into business. Money is a part of American society. We right. need it to live. There's not, you know, we all we all do. But I would never want to be a company where I was making, you know, 20 times more than my lowest paid employee and right. coming to work in a Porsche while they're driving a, a car that they, right. know, has a, if the tire goes, they're going to lose everything. Right. I think that that, I think that flies in the face of everything yeah. that I talk about. Like mm-hmm. it would be so hypocritical to be, you know, the, the funny thing is Lizzie, my wife says often, you know, it's words and actions. Words are easy. And for guys like me, I think, you know, I got some gifts. And one of the gifts I got is I'm a pretty good talker. I'm, I'm pretty good at, you know, I'm a pretty good communicator and I'm pretty good in a public talking. That's the easy part. The hard part is putting into action what you say. You know, there's, right. a, there's a lot of, Drive to Washington, D.C. You'll see thousands of really good talkers who haven't done anything to contribute to right. society. You know, it's, it, we think sometimes because people talk so well that somehow they're these great people. Well, put your money where your mouth is and actually right. let your words and your actions, you know, speak. It's funny you say that because we're here about MHAB. You know, we, we talk about MHAB and we don't break the law at MHAB. We don't do things that are illegal, but we do skirt the line sometimes when we need to get people who are living there out because they're uh, they're they're using and they're they're now you have seven other people that are close to them who might fall prey to this illness again yep. because somebody's there and and I've always said you know what if somebody wants to sue me for that I'll gladly stand up in a courtroom and tell a judge that yes we figured out a way to get that guy out because we were worried about the safety of seven other people there yeah. and if you want to find me or uh, you you can do that but I, it won't change the way that I am because I think that what we're trying to do isn't check boxes or get my name in lights. What we're trying to do is actually help people yeah. change their life. And yeah. sometimes you got to be willing to say, 
I have to stand on what my principles are. My principles are I'm more worried about your life than I am worried about you know anything else. It's funny because when I was first getting sober and after a few years and I started helping people, I say to people now, look, I'd like to be your friend, but I'm more interested in saving your life than I am in being your friend. If you hate mm -hmm. me because of the way I talk to mm -hmm. you, but you get sober and clean and change your life, I'm okay with that. I can right. live with that. If you like me, but I'm at your funeral tomorrow, that's gonna be worse for me. Mm -hmm. Like, And I wish the world was more like that. Like, tell people the truth. Right. Like, I don't understand why that seems so hard for people, but it, it really does yeah. seem very hard for people. Anyway, this was cool. Yes. I'm glad you guys sat here and did this. I got more out of you today than I've gotten out of you. Well, no, not necessarily. You, you, when you talk to me, you, you typically, but you're, you're a little bit guarded. Um, Telly's going to be with me for a long time, so I'll have many more times. You are, you are not, and I will tell you that I am going to tremendously miss you when I don't Absolutely. get to see you. Uh, it, it, it's, I'm going to miss you. You are, you are just, and I told you it was so funny because we had, when she came in and talked to me the other day about it, I said to her, I said, you know, it's only downhill from here. You're never going to work for a better boss than me. That's like, you can't you not find truth. somebody that's better than me. So right. you're, you're, you know, you're kind of stuck. That's not true. There's a lot of great people out there, and you're going to see the world and see different stuff. So we are going to miss you. But you are what I tell people who worked for this company since we started MHAB. You are forever a part of the MHAB family. Period. That's yep. uh, and that that's cool. You can always look yeah, at this organization that, and go, mm -hmm. you know what? I helped. I contributed to what. And you and I talked. We're gonna. You're gonna keep contributing anyway. But you'll always have that. And I think that's the coolest thing. You know, we are who we are because of the people we surround ourselves with. And I'm pretty fortunate. So thank you both for coming. By the way. This is a Brinney design. It says, it's okay to not be okay. This is one of my favorite ones. Not caustic, but it's very, very cool. I love this. You are going to continue designing sweatshirts for us. Um, what are we doing next week? Do you know? We have the... Uh, is the hospital? Yeah. Yes. Coming? Betsy's. Uh, uh, what's his? I can't think of his name. Green? I don't remember. Betsy orchestrated it. Somebody, somebody from the hospital is coming. We know that, and we're not sure. So we hope that you two did. I'm really sorry. I did do a little bit of research on him, and he has done work with, yeah. um, like opioid, uh, opioids. I think he runs like the the counseling or the EAS part at the hospital, right? right? And they have their own programs and stuff, which is great. I mean, people in healthcare struggle with this too. We don't Absolutely. realize that it's pretty prevalent. So. Um, yeah, that will be very exciting, and uh, and yeah, looking forward to it. So, what do do I have a closing thing anymore? I can never remember. No, I think you wasn't I going to do a quote. Time, you yeah, you're going to do a quote. quote. Bryn Judkins quote That's not my for quote. <laughs> quote for the podcast. Say that again. You got to say it loud so they hear it. <laughs> Desire is the. Is the root or the cause of all suffering? Desire yeah. is the root or cause of all suffering. We'll have to. Oh, I like that. That's yeah, a good one. I got to put that one in my have repertoire. To learn about the top five religions of the world. And Are you going to keep watching the podcast when you're gone? Duh. Okay. Of course I am. Uh, right. well, <laughs> we, we need to make sure you're going to keep yes. watching it. I, I mean, all right. Yes, I am. Thanks for being a part of it on this side of the camera. And realistically, thank you both for all the work that you've done in putting this together. And, and uh, this has been. 
this has been the highlight, one of the highlights of my life, being able to do this. It's one of the things I always wanted to do, never thought it would ever come to fruition. So to be able to sit here and do this is just cool as hell. And yeah. I, I owe a lot to you guys for being willing to suit up and show up every Tuesday and do this and work your ass off to put it together. And it's really cool. So thanks, thanks for being part of this. It's been a lot of fun. And next week, yes, Betsy will likely be back. The normie. The normie. Um, and we'll be talking about the hospital, and then we got a whole bunch of other good stuff come going on. Now, I will tell you one last thing. I think I already said it, but please watch the newest Cooking Without Wine because I am your guest chef, and it's, yep. I'm not sure what that Chicken says. Chicken tacos. Just, they were good, too. They were good. Chicken tacos. They were really I was good. mad. I had already ordered lunch, and when I had one, I was like, man, I want to yeah, eat more. They were really good. So check that out. Thanks for coming. See you next week. This is Recovery Uncovered, and we are out. Thanks for joining us today at Recovery Uncovered. No matter where you are in your recovery journey, or if you're supporting the recovery journey of a loved one, just know today is the first day of the rest of your life. Visit our website at mhab.org. And if you want to become an old timer in recovery, don't use and don't die. This has been Recovery Uncovered. Recovery Uncovered.